Welcome to Lifeline Edit. I'm your host, John Aberly. Have you ever thought about prisoner rights? You know, we talk a lot in this country about rehabilitation. We talk a lot about doing the right things. We talk about helping people, giving second chances in some case, some cases third chances. But do we really live what we preach, what we're talking about? And in the prison system, is rehabilitation truly the first goal or is it just an afterthought? What really goes on inside the prison system, in particular the federal prison system? Well, we're going to find that out today with my case. I'm sorry, just kind of totally screwed that one up with my guest, Kate Boyce. You might remember I had her on a few weeks ago with her husband, her husband Christopher Boyce from the Falcon and the Snowman. And Kate, welcome to the show. Good morning, John. Kate, I appreciate it. I know it's very early out there on the well, West it's not Coast. very early, but well, it is early. Well, it would be early to me. i got to be honest with you. <laughs> but, you know, you and I went back and forth the last few weeks doing emails, kind of talking about this, and I really thought you made some tremendous points. I really did in how you view the prison system. Now, you work as a paralegal, basically as a prison rights activist, but I have to ask you, Kate, what got you involved in this? What brought you into the legal system to do this kind of work? Because it has to be a calling, I think. It's that child of the 60s thing. Um, <laughs> I, I really, I believe that's what it is. I believe it was going to high school during the Vietnam War and the protests and the protesters being arrested. And then, of course, we had the Black Panther Party and, and Angela Davis and, and people like that. You know, like them or, or not, they do shape you. They do kind of change the world a little bit for you, and they did for me. So um, being being involved with prisoners to me just seemed like the right move. Now you now again through through the book uh, that I read uh, concerning Christopher and his case, mm-hmm. I came to understand now you will only take on cases of nonviolent criminals, correct? Yeah, I have kind of a, I guess because I, I do sort of do my own thing, so to speak, um, I'm able to, to pick and choose the inmates that I want to represent, which sometimes sounds fair, sometimes doesn't sound fair. Uh, I, it, it's not just strictly nonviolent, um, because I have obviously taken on mm-hmm. cases where there were murders involved, which is far from being nonviolent, or bank robbers, and that's far from being nonviolent. The cases I draw the line on are any crimes against women or any crimes against children. I won't touch them because I believe that those are the people who really, truly deserve to be in prison. Okay, so then you would look at them as being uh, someone who could not be rehabilitated. I will tell you that the grim statistic is, is that child molestation and crimes involving children are the only crimes that have a 100% recidivism rate. That is, and again, from my studies, I've learned that as well. I've done some shows on child abuse, and those numbers are pretty much right on. It's it's frightening, and it has been for years. Um, when when you look at at the statistics year after year put out by the Department of Justice, that one statistic never wavers. No, that that is correct. It stays consistent. Now, Kate. Are you, uh, your clients, do they, do they find you through um, a law firm that you might work for? Are you known out there in the field as a person to turn to if you're looking at a case that needs to have someone, you know, try to get their early parole? When I started doing parole work back in the early 80s, um, I limited it to federal parole, although I did have one state client in California 
but I, I stayed federal, and word of mouth is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And then, needless to say, after the paroles for Chris and Dalton, uh, the phone started ringing off the hook. So That's good. That's uh, Again, any kind of... Uh you know, good publicity that you know, doesn't hurt your career whatsoever. Right. In that case. Now, do you find that even inside the system, will a defense attorney who has the cases over now, would they be someone that would contact you and say, Kate, I had the case. This is what we got out of it. I'm asking you to take it on now. You know, that's an interesting question, John. Um, I have found that and I want to use the word several of all okay. of the cases I've had. Several defense attorneys have contacted me. Uh, a lot of religious groups have contacted me. Families have contacted me. But the thing that I've found for the most part, and boy, and, and this will incur the wrath of every defense <laughs> attorney in, uh, that's listening, what I have found for the most part is when they're done with you and the money's dried up, they're done with you. Well, isn't that the way it normally is within the defense attorney community? You're right. Once the case is done, unless it's such a high-profile case that they can keep getting some sort of residuals off of it one way or another, after that, it's pretty much done, if that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe you're right on that one. And then, you know, and then I, I look at my own business, and because it's done doesn't mean it's done. Because you can pay doesn't mean that, you know, it, it, that doesn't give you any more of a chance with me than if you can't pay. Now, Kate, are you working with a law firm right now, or do you, no. you just have a business that you run out of your home and this is your place? I mean, how do you? How can someone reach out to you if they feel they have a case they would like to get in front of you? Well, I have a business that I run out of my own office, okay. and uh, and I do several things. I mean, I, I have a very um, small business where I kind of branched off from the criminal justice system mm-hmm. and started doing... Um, probate work and helping mostly what I have are senior citizens whose spouse has passed away and they're alone and they really don't know how to work with the system and it just seems like everybody wants to charge them a whole lot of money for things that don't need to be done and I'm very protective over senior citizens um, so I do that and of course I still have a very active parole business and in fact I think you and I just spoke I've taken on a new client and uh, yes you did I saw that now James Dewart Harper correct yes. that's his name yes mr. Harper mr. Harper now I have I know a little about him uh, SBNI's 1983 selling secrets to Poland correct right his wife was Polish she's since deceased but his wife was Polish and he was not a member of the CIA he okay. was not in any kind of a situation like that but he did have he was a, a contractor clearance kind of a thing okay so he's working within those parameters right now it was one count yes and he yeah. got a life sentence right I'm still just in shock uh, yeah that's exactly it he was tried and convicted before judge Conti in the federal court out of San Francisco so you know basically my home okay and I would like to think we're a little more liberal there but apparently not because <laughs> what judge Conti wanted to do was give him two consecutive life sentences for one count of espionage and then he made a, a speech from the bench at the time of sentencing saying um, you will die in prison you will never get out of prison well he's 80 years old he's the time is ticking there. I mean, when did you decide to take on the case? Within the last few weeks? Mr. Harper contacted me soon after Chris's parole was granted. And uh, when Chris was at 
at, uh, in Oregon, at the uh, prison in Oregon before he was finally released, he met Mr. Harper, and they talked, and Mr. Harper contacted me. But at that point in my life, um, things were a little hectic. So in the past couple of weeks, I, I started thinking twice about it, and it's always weighed on my mind. So I wrote him a letter, and now we're back in contact and ready to move. That'll be interesting. You and I will stay definitely in contact on that one because I'm going to follow it, and that'll be a story unto itself probably in the next several months. Yeah, I would, well, probably the next year. <laughs> okay, good. That, that, no, that works for me. Now, Kate, kind of getting the meat, you know, the whole meat yeah. and bones of the whole thing here, I have to ask you this, too. Now, for your passion looking at prisoner rights, is it the prison system itself that truly upsets you, how it's ran? Is it how the inmates are just not looked at as, as human in a lot of cases? Is it a combination of many factors? I mean, can you give me one thing that really, you know, tweaks you about the whole thing? The first thing I think that that riles me up is not the prison system because it's driven by what the criminal justice system is. So I think it's the criminal justice system itself. And what happens is, is that we start taking people uh, for use or possessing of small amounts of, of drugs, narcotics, and those people end up in the prison system. We take kids now, we're taking, literally taking 17-year-old kids, 18-year-old kids that commit a quote-unquote graffiti crime, and instead of slapping a probation or something like that, they're now getting prison time. And it's crimes like that that you start lumping those together with um, violent crimes, and you put all of these people together. There are so many, well, as an example, in the 2011 Pew Charitable Trust Center uh, does, the Pew Charitable Trust does a survey of every prisoner in every prison throughout the United States. In 2011, there were 7 million Americans who were incarcerated. That's well, one out of three. Well, or, okay. Sorry, one out of 33. Okay, well, let's one out of 33 okay. people. Okay, but here's my question then. Okay, we got one out of 33 people. Now, are we looking mostly at crimes committed concerning drugs under the influence of drugs or alcohol? Are we looking at a large percentage of that, and then from there it goes into the more violent crimes or the blue-collar type crimes or white-collar type crimes? I think a lot of them are crimes of opportunity, okay. and, and that's a lot different than drug crimes. They're just simply crimes of opportunity. The highest amount of people um, over any three-year period, when they look at recidivism rates for criminals, we base it on a three-year period. It's okay. not like, how did this guy do his first year out? They, they do a, five, uh, a three- to a five-year, and it's generally at three years. Um, the, the price of recidivism is $52 billion a year in extra correction costs in this country. So we're, we're putting these people in prison. We give them nothing in prison. We put them in prison for, I don't know, you had six ounces of pot, or you had a pot business and you were growing it and you were selling it, and you're not allowed to do that and now you're going to prison. So we lump these people in with the burglars and the rapists and the murderers, and then we release them and then we can't give them any jobs because they can't be employed mm-hmm. because that gets to be a difficult nightmare. And they go back to prison. So it's just, it's a revolving door, and we just continue to support the revolving door. Well, how about this? Now, this is where people have come to me 
Uh, I informed some friends and family, of course, of the show that we would be doing. And, and you and I, again, we did the show earlier mm-hmm. uh, with Chris, and you and I have gone back and forth on emails. And I'm going to throw you some of this stuff that people come to me at. Yeah. And they'll sit there and go, well, Kate, they're in the prison system. They're working out. They're bodybuilding. They've got cable television. They can go to college if they want. What do you say when that's said? Because I think that's a really small percentage of opportunity. I don't think that truly, truly exists for every prisoner. Well, I, I don't know. It's First of all, for me, I mean, because I'm able to work out at, at, at a gym or watch television or paint, if I'm in a lockdown situation, mm-hmm. it's still prison. It's not my choice. Um, what I generally say to people like that, uh, that's the vast majority, by the way, yes. of people who would like to take away any kind of inmate rights. Mm-hmm. You committed a crime, you've been sentenced, you're going to jail, and our goal is to make you do your time. And, and we want to make it miserable because you made our life miserable. So that's kind of where we stand. And that's as far as they look. And for me, that's really tunnel vision. Because ultimately, the people that, that we've lumped into these groups are going to be released. They're going to be paroled. So now they're out on the street. They can't get a job because they have a felony conviction. Nobody wants them in their apartment complex because they've run a credit check before this guy gets his apartment. And he's got a felony conviction. And even though I really can't discriminate, I'm going to discriminate because I don't want him living there. Now he's got no support on the outside. He's either on the, on the state welfare roll for a short period of time because obviously there's no unemployment. So what's the next thing that happens? The bottom line in this country is 67.5% of people released from prison are recidivists in the first three years. You can't find a home. You can't find a job. You can't find the help that you need to get back on your feet. You're going to do the next thing that you know how to do, and that's commit the crime that put you there to begin with, and you're going back. Now, I'm gonna, I, I have a guest in with me today, and I'm not going to say who he is, but he's a friend of mine. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm going to say who it is. It's actually my father. My father's in town from Houston. Oh, and, oh from uh, Houston. <laughs> from Houston, Texas. And um, we've been going around and around on this a little bit. <laughs> and, kid, i got to be honest with you. Over the years, my mindset has changed a little bit. i am become closer to your thought process on this. I see reasons to go deeper into rehabilitation and to look harder at a criminal and let's not throw away the key mentality and i still have a little bit it pulls me back into my old world where i think well you know some of these guys really do deserve it i oh, think yeah. and oh, I, and they do and they i think yeah. there's a fine i think there is a way of hopefully trying to weed out the bad from the real bad here and you can make something happen now if you're a criminal and you commit a crime, and let's say it's burglary, and you end up doing 5 to 10. You're looking at a state prison for the most part, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Okay. It is a state prison. It is a state prison. So you end up in something like that. Now, that becomes almost a gladiator school in some places, correct? Yes, yes. So you're all of a sudden, put, you might not even be a violent burglar, but you're put in now to a system with people who have no feelings whatsoever for other human beings. Right. And they now become... A part of the system where they have to survive and they start doing things you couldn't possibly believe. I go back to a movie I saw years ago with Tom Selleck called An Innocent Man. Oh, I loved that yes, movie. Yes, it's an excellent yes, movie. Right. And that's a prime example of an airline mechanic who's 
wrongfully convicted of a crime, thrown into the prison system in California, and in order to survive, he becomes something he never thought he could be, which makes complete sense under the circumstances. But I guess what I'm trying to get down to the question is, is there really any rehabilitation available in the prison system? Can someone go and say, look, I want to get my GED. I want to get my college degree. I want to become a better person. Is there any real avenue for that, or have we totally gotten away from it now? No, I believe there is. It's a twofold thing for me, first of all. Number one, when we bring these, these men or women into a prison situation, particularly for a first-time offender, we really need to study these people. They need to be talked to. They need to, it's, it's a little more than giving somebody a blanket, a jumpsuit, and a toothbrush. You really need to be able to know, is this somebody that can be saved? Is this a person that can be saved? And if that person has that glimmer of hope and they, they, they are interested in bettering themselves and this is a one-off crime, and you don't really know that, but I think people get a feeling for it. I think that the education at the, at the guard, prison guard system, at the sentencing system, and then finally in the prison is crucial. Uh, with the money that we spend in prison systems, in, in well, not rehabilitation, obviously, but having to spend the money on people who have been reincarcerated, that money could well be spent on training programs. It could be spent on trying to figure out how these people will work when they leave prison or how they will be educated when they leave prison. I, do, I believe there is a big call for it, and I believe we can do it. Why do you think society is so, we have to punish the person? We're, 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 we're going to beat them down. I mean, at what? Cause, because everybody in their own situation is looking for mercy. Mm-hmm. Got to have mercy in my case. If I don't get mercy, ain't nobody else getting mercy. Where did this come from? Have we always had this in our society, in America, this Puritan punishment ethic? Or is this just becoming something more over the years because our prison systems have grown, news, television, it's all out there now, and somebody wants somebody to pay for everything? Well, I believe it's it's actually human nature, and, and I'm very fortunate. I married very late in life, so I had a very full passport. Um, I've been to a lot of countries and a lot of cities, and I've seen the criminal justice systems pretty much all over the world, people all over the world, and I think that people just inherent in each of us is, wow, you screwed up and you really have to pay for it. And I, I think that's what it comes down to. I think somewhere there's that little eye-for-an-eye eye kind of vendetta going on. And that's amazing to me, considering within our society, within how we look at politicians, actors, athletes, more people in entertainment than anything else, it's part of our nature. We want to build someone up. We love to watch them be broken down. And then we root so hard for the comeback. The interesting thing with the higher profile is, to me anyway, people, and, and I'll tell you, mm-hmm. I'll use O.J. Simpson as a point of example. He's a point, of, he's a point so of many examples. Go ahead. Well, yes, he is. <laughs> um, O.J. Simpson, people were rooting for him to, to obviously be freed from the murder charges, and that happened, and he had this big, gigantic support system because of it. It didn't really matter to these people if he was guilty or not. And that was the point that that I really took away from those trials. They didn't look at the evidence. They just, I heard people interviewed 
saying, it doesn't really matter. He's, he's making a blow for the black man. Well, yeah, okay. So now he's in prison in, where is he, in Nevada, I yeah, somewhere, Yeah, somewhere in Nevada. Right, and he's just been turned down for, for uh, yet another appeal and release. And people are still rooting for him. I'm he surprised he hasn't contacted you, Kate. Oh, good grief, no. Um, <laughs> he can't go wrong. But, you know, you start putting movie stars up there, and and uh, and, and people like sports figures are, are a great one, and they commit heinous crimes. But, that hey, I just watched that guy's movie, and he was a really nice guy. So, you know, it's a mentality that I haven't quite figured out, but they are elevated above the average person. Kate? You are the first person I've ever spoken to in the position that you are, where the honesty came through in talking about people who have some sort of power or some sort of, some sort of entertainment way about them and how people look at them. I really appreciate that. We're going to roll into a break. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. My guest is Kate Boyce. She is a paralegal prison rights activist. Be back in a few moments. Drinking while you're pregnant can give your baby brain damage and birth defects, learning disabilities too. Look, here's the deal. If you drink alcohol while you're pregnant, you may be ruining your baby's chances of ever having a normal life. All forms of alcohol are dangerous, even beer and wine. Play it smart. Alcohol and pregnancy don't mix. This message is brought to you by the Chester County Department of Drug and Alcohol Services. For more information, please call toll-free 1-866-286-3767 or visit nofas.org. Have you heard of the Minding Your Mind Foundation? Their primary objective is to improve the lives of adolescents and young adults by providing education associated with mental illness and mental health issues. They strive to educate students and enlighten everyone that these illnesses are both common and treatable. Help is available and recovery is possible. Student programs are free to middle and high schools. To learn more and donate, visit mindingyourmind.org. Hey, Philadelphia, get excited! Jim Sapala here. By now you know Nissan of Devon has the best deals on new Nissan. For example, you can lease a 2013 Altima for $159 a month or buy for just $15,995. But there's one problem. We sold so many new Nissans and taken so many quality trades, our lots are bursting at the seams. With hundreds of choice vehicles, I'm sure to have a ride for you. At NissanofDevon.com, we feel so great about our pre-owned vehicles that each one comes with a lifetime warranty. As long as you own the car, you're covered. It's the best warranty on pre-owned vehicles in the entire country. Now, who does that? We're not number one yet, but we will be soon. So get excited about our best-in-class pre-owned vehicles today. Jim Sapala's Nissan of Devon, minutes away and a whole lot less to pay. With every test drive at Jim Sapala's Nissan of Devon, we'll donate $25 to bringing hope home. These three years, $5,000 cash or trade down. Tax and tags extra. See dealer for details. Pre-owned purchase Ultima Stock D00328. Lease Ultima Stock C13323. Go Hunt PA to enjoy the outdoors, to be with family and friends, or to put food on the table. Whatever the reason, the Pennsylvania Game Commission invites you to Go Hunt PA. Log on to pgc.state.pa.us to find information on wildlife, hunting, licensing, and much more. While you're there, subscribe to their email service to get all the latest news, like reminding hunters that fall turkey and black bear seasons open in November. So Go Hunt PA and let a Ram truck take you there. Engineered to move heaven and earth. Guts, glory, Ram. 
Small Business Saturday, meet big centric appliances. Family owned. Cutting overhead from a real warehouse. With great product knowledge, rebates, and no tax, even out of state. Compare our front load name brand washer dryer pair up to $1,800 at big box stores. Your big deal under $1,000 or a French store refrigerator retail $3,500. Big deal price $2,000. Find your products, find your price, then contact 302-304-1010. Big centric appliances, 302-304-1010. No tax and free delivery, bigcentric.com. Hi, this is Will Friedell, and you're listening to WCHE AM. Welcome back to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Kate Boss, paralegal prison rights activist. You know Kate from my previous interview concerning the Falcon and the Snowman. Kate, let's give you guys a little bit of a plug. I understand the uh, new book, American Sons, came out in print this week. Is that correct? It did. It is out in paperback at Amazon.com and doing a booming business. Excellent. You guys are doing well? We are, yes. Glad to hear it. I saw that we got a lot of positive feedback on the interview that we did. And I was really glad to see that. I saw some people were really happy with the questions, and the they got to know you, Chris, and Vince uh, a lot more than they knew that they you know than they did before. That is so nice to hear. Thank oh, I think you. That, you know something, Kate. Like I said, you know, I told you from the beginning, I don't agree with everything that someone comes on the show with. I don't agree with everything they do. It doesn't matter. I look at people as human beings, and I thought you and Chris had a really good kind of love story involved in your work with him. And I find his story completely fascinating, as well as yours. And, well, you know, and I have to tell you, and yes. that just makes the point that we were talking about before you went to break. If you think back to 1977, when Chris was arrested, and even after he was rearrested in 1981, um, the bags and bags and bags of mail from a vast majority of women, oh, yeah. not just in this country, but all over the world. Because well, he's he was, a good-looking guy. Well, but it was more than that. It was, uh, it was a good-looking guy, and it was a flight of fancy. And it, he, they elevated essentially a criminal to the point of movie star well that's what the media does again that's that you know that build up that breakdown that build up again and if you have the look you have the story you have something that's a little bigger than life people gravitate towards that i've never understood women who marry men that are uh, life you know in prison for life other than the one psychological fact i think it is that they know where they are all the time well, I, I actually did a study on that a number of years ago because I was kind of curious about it. And, okay. and I don't know if you know the, the no. story right now, but I guess two weeks ago, Charlie Manson announced he was he found his soulmate and he's getting married. You're kidding. No, that I missed. I'm surprised I missed that. How did she find him? Oh, it's not hard to find Charlie. <laughs> My God. And what was the reason you came? Okay, what did you see? Are these women who need to, to just have... Uh, a man in their life, they can say they have a man, and they know where he is 24-7, so that way there's no chance of him running around unless it's with Bubba down the hall? I, um, I you know, I'm, I've met so many of these women over, over all of these years in and out of the prison system, and a lot of them, are you, you don't find a lot of highly educated in, uh, women that are doing this, but the fact of the matter is, is that I think in the beginning they get involved because they're very kind and they're very big-hearted. And they have a lot of love to share, and they start writing to prisoners. 
And if they're members of church groups, one of the things that church groups seem to stress is, you know, the um, kindness to our fellow man. And they do. They they have lists of prisoners that could use pen pals. And I, I think that's where it started. Very few of these women ever knew the people prior to incarceration. And then they kind of get sucked into it, and it does become a lifestyle. So you're now spending your weekends in a prison visiting room and eating out of a vending machine, mm-hmm. and one thing leads to another, and, and a lot of women do marry these men that are at the state level. It's, it's pretty easy to do. They approve the, the weddings. They don't approve them at the federal level. Interesting. Um, but at the state level, a lot of these women marry, and they, they have a husband. For all intents and practical yep. purposes, they have this man who writes glowing, wonderful letters <laughs> because he's a captive audience and he has <laughs> nothing else to do. Uh-huh. And so there's all the romance. There's the phone, the letter. I mean, honestly, I have 20 years worth of Chris's letters. Do you think he's the same person now? <laughs> <That> ex- no! <laughs> he can't even leave me a note in the morning to tell me where he is. So, uh-huh. you know. The eight-page love letters die after a while. But I think that's a lot of it. And uh, I don't know that a lot of these marriages sustain release. It's a, it's a very difficult transition for somebody coming out of prison, let alone now having a person in the house with them. I have to believe that, too, because now you're truly with the real person, as you are in any relationship. But this is different. Someone has been sent to prison for a reason, most of the time a reason, a good reason. And now, you said that romance, that all that, now you're, you're there with them in that one space or that space of that home. And the real person starts to come out. I wonder how many of those situations have turned violent. For some reason, I don't think uh, the prison system itself has done enough studies on this. I can tell you um, specifically one case where a man was at San Quentin and and met a woman and they were they had bonded over a period of I don't, 10 years or something they married in prison he finally got a release date it made her extremely nervous that he got a release date mm. um things started to change because of that impending release date and she lived with her mother in San Jose and when he was released he not only killed her but he killed her mother See, there you go. And that's a, a, a hopefully an extreme version of what we're talking about. But somehow I think there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in those situations that we never really know about. Well, I, I think going into any kind of relationship, you can't really know 100% about the other person. I don't care if you've spent the last 20 years of friendship with them. I agree. Um, and it, compounding that with prison and the horrors of that situation... And I'm not telling, please, if there's women out there, I'm not telling them don't get involved. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you really need to be able to read the other person. And it really has to be a very, very careful consideration of what your future or what you want your future to be. Well, you speak from experience with that. I mean, you truly do. Not in the sense that we have someone on, you know, who was on death row or whatever, and you befriend them. This was your work, and you got close to Christopher, and... A relationship developed, and you proceeded to do your work. You got him out of prison. Was it a little bit, were you a little nervous when he got out and and you guys were going to start a life together? Was there some apprehension just a little bit? No, I have to tell you, there wasn't. Excellent. Um, There there truly wasn't. It's it's because we knew each other so well, and (laughs) we had spent a lot of years together. There wasn't anything I didn't know. 
I also knew the kind of family he came from, and I knew the kind of family I came from. I had made a commitment to Chris, and and I never actually pictured myself being married to a convicted felon, <laughs> but <laughs> it just kind of worked out that way, and I no, I don't um, I don't regret a moment of it. Well, Chris is blessed. I know he realizes that he spoke very highly of you, of course, during the interview we did. Well, and he should as well really. as he and should. Those eight, <laughs> those eight page letters should come back. Now, Kate, I want to get into something that I think is not talked about enough when it comes to the prison system, when it comes oh, to people. You hit it right on the mark, my friend. <laughs> you got it. You and I went back. I was in my office that day, and I was working on a quote for a major project I'm working on, and I had to keep stopping my work to keep answering your emails because you kept making me go deeper and deeper into my thoughts on this. And I I don't know what it is, if this is a, a, a societal problem, if we're still stuck that we can't quite understand that there's mental illness around us, but the numbers of how many prisoners in this country suffer from one form of mental illness or another, that is not counting drugs or alcohol addiction, is extremely high. What are your thoughts on that? Where can we go with it? Uh, It's just so scary. I don't know. I sometimes wonder, and this is my big thing, and and you see if you agree on this, Mm -hmm. The mental illness has always been there. It's mm-hmm. not a new thing. I agree. And I think that the reason that we are so aware now is because we finally have a way to define it. So it's taken us all these years to be able to define what mental illness really is and, and develop tests for it and the stigma of it and the various symptoms. So. The next step has got to be, okay, so now how do we treat these people so that they don't end up in prison? Well, the question is now, this question, now you'll know this more than I will. When a prisoner gets put into the system, are there psychological tests being done? Are there tests, I mean, not just drug tests within the system themselves, blood tests and so forth. Are these people going through tests to find out if they have ADD, ADHD, bipolar disorder, depression, schizophrenia. Is there anyone who truly is taking an interest to look at the individual and see if there's a problem here? Or are we just throwing them in there, which is, which is extremely dangerous for the general population and the guards? Yeah, I'd like to be able to tell you that, yes, that's happening, but I'm going to tell you that, no, it is not. See, I, I was under the impression, I've got to be honest with you, that I thought for sure when one enters incarceration, enters into the system, there are tests being done. Much like when you go into the military, they're running different tests on you, psychological evaluations, and so on and so forth. And I guess for a moment, maybe we're saying we have to divorce ourselves from the emotional part of it and start looking more at the economics, meaning that it's costing us more money and time in this country and how we're handling our prisoners right now than if we started making some changes. So maybe it's all about money, and that's the best way to approach it, Kate? It's about money and education. Okay. Um, one of the reasons that they're not testing for these things is because, A, they're not going to take the time to do it. They don't have the staffing, so there's money, um, along with desire. And then the second part of it is is that, and, and I don't want to say that it's a, it's, a, it's a system of not caring. I think what it comes down to is there are so many inmates, and in the study that I did, which was through a Harvard research study, there were something like 300,000 men and women in U.S. 
jails that were actually suffering not just from some form of mental disorder, but mental disorders that were so peaked that they actually included schizophrenia and bipolar disorders and major depression, not just mild depression, but cases of horrible manic depressive behavior. So you have these three little groups, particularly the schizophrenia, and that if it's not treated, is going to conduct itself into a uh, into a more violent, as you as I'm sure you already oh, know. Yeah, yeah. These are the people who have a tendency to act out and get violent, and there are a lot of murders inside of the prison from the little voices in their heads. Yeah, yeah, and that's but where we can't screen them. We're not screening them. There you go. Okay, KK, we're going to roll into another break here. I want to come back and stay on the mental health aspect. Is that all right with you? Absolutely. Excellent. We're talking to Kate Boyce, paralegal prison rights activist. Also married to Christopher Boyce, the Falcon and the Snowman. You can find their new book released on paperback now, American Sons, on Amazon.com. Or you can go to their website if you like. Be back in a few moments. Do you want to know what's going on with your favorite celebrities when it comes to entertainment, fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle? Well, tune in for The Bryn Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12. I'll even catch you up on childhood stars like Boy Meets World actor Will Friedle. By the time I hit 30, I stopped doing on-camera work entirely. I'm having too much fun doing the voiceover stuff. Find out the latest tour and album information from your favorite artists like pop sensation Carmen. When we were working on the album, we had so many songs recorded. Some of them sounded really fun and really Carmen, and I think a lot of the stuff that inspires us is really fun. Check out tips for balancing life as a working parent from people like actress Melissa Joan Hart. It was difficult because I was missing them a lot, but now we have decided to all stick together more, and we've been traveling back and forth across the country as a unit. Also, get motivated to get healthy with experts like Good Morning America contributor Tori Johnson. So I realized that rewarding myself with food is akin to an alcoholic celebrating a month of sobriety with a beer. And you never know what some of your favorite stars might say. The last time I was in Philly, they surrounded me and they were like, we love you on MTV, you're our favorite comedian. Aww. I was like, Aww. So you don't want to miss all the action. Check out The Bryn Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12 right here on WCAG 1520 AM. If you want to know what's happening in Harrisburg and across Pennsylvania, then you need to check out pamatters.com. Video, audio, news article features, and reporter blogs will keep you in touch with your lawmakers at the state capitol. It's all available in one place, pamatters.com. Each and every month, we bring you an exclusive conversation with Governor Tom Corbett as he discusses the major issues in the Commonwealth and answers your questions submitted through pamatters.com. Catch all the latest talk and watch archived video clips from past shows. PAMatters.com also brings you the latest headlines from Radio Pennsylvania, covering the stories that affect you and your family. Bookmark PAMatters.com and check back daily for your state news fix. We're also on Facebook. Click like and join in the conversation on the PA Matters page. This is Governor Tom Corbett. I'm ready to take your questions, so stop by PAMatters.com today. PAMatters.com. People. Politics. Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Nicole Zell, and I'm the new host of Soundstage. Every Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m., we'll be featuring local musicians and upcoming artists. That's Soundstage. Every Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m. With me, Nicole Zell, on WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. 
Hey, what's up? I'm Matt. I'm Kirby. And I'm Mike, and we're from Rivers Monroe, and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM. The talk of Chester County. Welcome back to Life on Edim. Your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is paralegal prison rights activist Kate Boyce. Kate, I, I, uh, we got about seven, eight minutes left here in the final segment. And I want to stay on the mental health aspect of uh, the prison situation. Now, again, I was a little surprised to hear what you told me there about that there's really no testing done when an inmate is coming into the system. Now, again, on the outside world where the taxpayers are footing the bill and they're voting for the politicians and the politicians are listening to the people sometimes, uh, working the prison system, if you're a politician, cracking down hard on crime can never go wrong when you're looking to run for a reelection. Now, is any of this good inside the system? I mean, we're led to believe that these guys got great health care. You know, if they need a kidney transplant, they're getting a kidney transplant. Again, going back to the workouts, the gym, the cable. If they need to get a transgender type situation done, been hearing more stories about that. Why do we hear so much of that? here on the outside, but not the real nitty-gritty of it on the inside. side really wants to hear about the mental health issues. I think it becomes a, you know, we don't care kind of a deal. But when you have prisoners with mental illness, undiagnosed mental illness, mm-hmm. or mental illness to the degree that it has been diagnosed, but the prison system isn't really looking at it as, as something that they personally are going to have to deal with, you put these people in prison, they do their best to navigate the prison environment just like every other inmate, but their mental illness makes them a little less able to do that. And it becomes, um, in a lot of cases, an act-out situation. There's a lot of frustration. Um, they, uh, brains do strange things, as yep. you know. Yep. I joke about the little man in our head talking to us, but it's a real fact. Yeah. I know of six case laws right off the top of my head um, from Georgia, Illinois, Iowa, and even so far as California and the state of Washington, where inmates, mentally ill inmates, because the guards really don't have any education. These people were hearing voices, they were hallucinating, they were acting out, they were destroying the inside of their cell. In one case, a man ripped up his sheet to hang himself, and they charged him with destruction of state property. Oh, I believe that. (laughs) None of that surprises me at all. And it's, again, because I have a background in mental illness, because I, I do a little bit of work in the field, I know things personally about it, I have a little bit more of a different take on it than, say, my average friend or even my, one of my average family members. But that there's not enough of us for that. And I guess, how come there's not a movement outside of the system, or maybe there is and I'm missing it, where we can start getting these prisoners some of the mental health help that they need. It seems to me we're either going to pay now or pay later for this. We're always going to pay. And paying now in a safe environment, to me, is better than the neighbors who are standing in front of a place with a picket sign and doing a NIMBY. Um, not in my backyard. Yeah, not in my backyard, yeah. 
So, you know, you have a choice. Yes, your tax dollars are, are eventually going to go to support this prisoner, support this prisoner's mental health issues, support them on welfare because they can't work and they can't live anywhere. Um, and now we have a country that step by step by step is becoming more and more full of these people who have been released from prison, a lot of them with some pretty severe mental deficiency. And it's, there has to be some movements. There has to be some bigger movements. I think right now people are much more concerned about Black Friday and what they're buying Uncle Jane or Aunt Jane for their <laughs> Christmas present than they are about the fact that their safety is at stake in this country. What upsets me is I think we're going to see more and more of returning veterans, uh, Iraqi, Afghan veterans who are going to be entering, entering into the, you know, the uh, correction system. Based on mental illness, we're going to see. I believe you're absolutely right. Based on what happened in California on the the returning Vietnam veterans, and I don't know if if you knew that when Ronald Reagan was the governor of the state of California, he decided that most of the people in the mental hospitals in California really didn't need to be there. Well, this is this is. I can go with Reagan a lot of different ways, but this is also a man who never uttered the word AIDS during the entire eight right, years exactly. he was president. So, Well, I don't think know. he really meant, you know, muttered mental illness either, because he released people that he felt were, quote-unquote, living on the system, gaming the system. So these people got released out onto the street with no services, no place to go. A lot of them had been in Atascadero and the other state hospitals for a great many years, and they did not know how to function in the outside world. So they became the resident homeless, and they gravitated to big cities, and it's become generational now. Well, that's it, and I have to go back and look and go, okay, wait a second. A lot of people didn't understand mental illness 30, 40, 50 years ago. Today, it's a little bit different of a story. There are answers out there. There are studies being done. There are ways of looking at this and finding out the true answers. But I think until, until it's economically viable, I mean, where everyone can see it, most people are never going to care. They just want their pound for pound of flesh and to get even be able to blame someone. I think that's why we stay the way we are. We're a society that wants justice at almost at all costs. Well, and we're an embarrassed society. And, and this is the key. And this is where we need to get past this. Even our own family members who may have a mental illness, it embarrasses us and we hide it away. Oh, yeah. I, I agree 100%. Stop hiding. Okay, you and I could do another show just on that alone. But <laughs> before I got about a minute and a half left, I do want to hit you with a couple quick questions. Sure. First of all, what's the future hold for Cape Boys? Are you going to retire or are you going to keep doing this type of work and putting yourself out there? Um, gosh, I will retire when they switch off the life support system. Okay, perfect. One last one on this that I'm curious about. Now, your job. Is very detailed in the sense it could take years and years and years for you to get a, you know, a positive answer or even a negative answer to what mm-hmm. you're trying to accomplish. Does this pay well? I'm curious. Oh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask you that one. I not mean, is there anything all. good here about this as far as pay, or is it just a labor of love? It's a labor of love. It's dedication. It's a good thing. I like that. And it's not dedication to inmates. I, mean, I don't want people to think that I just run around you know, freeing people from prison. There are a lot of people who belong in prison, John. Great. And they belong in prison for the rest of their natural lives. But there are also an awful lot of people who have shown clear-cut rehabilitation. And those people deserve a second chance and sometimes maybe even a third chance. Kate, you and I agree far more on things than I, than I thought we would. 
<laughs> and I think that's a good thing. And I want to thank you for coming on, Kate Boss, paralegal, prison rights activist. Kate, let's go through again real quick. Tell me, where can we find the book, America's Son, about Christopher Boyce, yourself, and Vince? Uh, the Falcon and the Snowman, American Sons, is available by ebook and paperback on Amazon.com. Um, if you want more information on the entire thing, you can go to our website, thefalconandthesnowman.com. Excellent. Kate, thank you so much. Please tell Chris and Vince I said hi, and Absolutely. I'm pretty sure we'll be talking again real soon. Nice talking to you, John. Thanks. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye.